0: welcome to amd tech talk your source for the latest in data center innovation and insight on amd's latest technology breakthroughs and now here's your host jim green
1: thanks for listening today our guest is rebecca Weekly. rebecca thanks for joining us can you give us a quick sentence on Cloudflare and your role in leading it?
0: Cloudflare is a company that is invested in internet security, trying to make sure that we protect, whether it's your front door or your back door to the internet, everything. Uh, and I run infrastructure engineering, which is a portion of the overall infrastructure organization uh, that is focused on compute, accelerator, storage, uh, Server network design and development and validation to make sure that we are meeting the needs of our customers as we deploy 20% of the world's internet traffic.
1: Well, speaking of that infrastructure there, Cloudflare has, Cloudflare has built up a, a global network of infrastructure claims to connect, what, uh, 95% of the entire globe within 50 milliseconds? That's yep. That's some pretty heady stuff here. What types of customers need that level of service?
0: I would argue every customer who's <laughs> operating globally needs that kind of, of network. Maybe not for every use case, but like I said, front door and back door, if you happen to have a global company, you probably want the experience of people accessing your intranet to be performant, right? You probably don't want business continuity to be at the expense of whatever you know, network scrubbing appliance you've installed in whatever location on your IT backbone. Um, and unfortunately, that's real, right? So, whether it's your intranet for your own internal development and use case, or if it's your public website and you don't make money if people can't <laughs> access your website, you want to have a performant experience. So, really, whether that's performance, security, the dissemination to others, that's where we focus. Mm-hmm.
1: So the responsiveness and the uh, ability to to move a uh, content to give it a good a good user experience, if you will, those are kind of idealized versions of of some of the customer and examples and use models that people advocating for the edge have been targeting for a long time now. Can you share how network edge capability is important to your customers, or is it?
0: Oh gosh, I think uh, <laughs> we would argue the edge is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no change in terms of uh, what people want to do in a performance fashion, right? Uh, obviously, there are things that are less network bandwidth constrained or um, I don't know what the right way of putting it is. But, uh, you know, when we're thinking about the experience of coming together uh, with our employees or to your end users, probably want to do it in a way that is performant and secure, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what. So the edge is everywhere. You may not want to train, you know, large AI models everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's not a very latency sensitive workload. Uh, so there's certainly workloads that are compute intense that are not necessarily low latency that would not necessarily be a candidate for that kind of an edge deployment. But inference of that model You know, chatbots integrated into websites for better support experiences for your users? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, That's exactly where, you know, workers AI, for example, is really trying to play uh, within our global network. So edge is everywhere. You are everywhere. I would argue the regulatory environment that we are in is more and more regionalized. Data sovereignty has only increased in terms of the number of countries that are asking to ensure that their data does not leave their boundaries. So given that backdrop, it's incredibly important that companies are aware of where their employees are, what they are doing, mm-hmm. what they are accessing, and also where their data for their websites is stored and why and how to keep it secure.
1: Well, so that, that you bring up a great point. The edge is everywhere and therefore your data is, is likely everywhere and even your, your IP. What kind of challenges do concepts like data privacy or cloud sovereignty uh, bring when you're looking at essentially a global business? And and how have you tackled those at Cloudflare?
0: Oh, gosh, so many ways, (laughs) Uh, you know, and certainly there are people who are more the experts in the security side than myself. So I won't I won't proclaim to be, you know, the expert Mm -hmm. in all regions, but fundamentally we tag data by region. We obviously do a lot of work to make sure if our customers have enabled, we have lots of customers, right? Some who don't care. But for those who have and do care and want to keep their data stored regionally or want to keep, you know, encryption across all boundaries or name your favorite flavor, that is enabled very easily. Usually it's like one little tick box on a, you know, dashboard within uh, your setup and configuration with Cloudflare. And that ensures that your data stays within your sovereignty boundary. Sometimes that's a specific country. Sometimes that's a specific region like you. Um So work like that mm-hmm. is, you know, definitely IP tagging, asset tagging, you know, but in ways that are private, mm-hmm. right? So we don't store directly with the customer name on something <laughs> that would be, you know, say you use encrypted keys, you use different methodologies to ensure that you're keeping all private data private as well as data sovereign to the area. And there's you know, as we come up with more pro- new products, which we always do, we always have to reassess how are we doing that? How are we thinking about that? Is this something that needs to you know adhere to those boundaries in order to ramp and scale? And you know, we have different processes that we go through. A product in beta may not have full regionalization yet because we may not be in every region with that specific product if it introduces, for example, a new form of hardware. So, you know, it's evolving, uh, but it's, it's a core concept of how we think about it. We don't look at network dissemination as a extra thing that was layered upon us because of the environment that we're living in, right? We look at the network as our core enabler. We look at the edge as our business. Mm-hmm. And then it happens that we can take advantage of that given what's happening in the backdrop of regulation and, you know, increased uh, data sovereignty requirement.
1: You mentioned how things are evolving here. What types of some of the key determinants on on that infrastructure capability that your team is really focused on uh, in terms of delivering performance in other capabilities like security, uh, and still meeting and, and uh, allowing new customer experiences.
0: So efficiency is obviously a, a major factor. <laughs> more with less. Uh, you know, really? the day that that doesn't matter, <laughs> we can all we can all retire. Um, no, but I mean, we obviously look at lots of different metrics depending on the workload. So if we're looking at something that's more you know data driven like Seth, we're going to look at something about you know petabytes per TCO dollar, uh, but with a security, reliability, durability requirements. When we look at something like our edge network, we're going to look at requests per second per TCO dollar. But increasingly, we're also going to look at TWAPs, you know, in terms of how we're serving AI, mean time to first token, you know, for inference and how we're looking at those factors. So of course, it's a set of blended metrics that we look at in order to make sure we're delivering performance servers. Um, I think the interesting thing for us is, you know, in terms of our evolution in infrastructure, we started out very much every service, every server, everywhere in the world, um, you know, and it's core to our DNA. When it, whereas a lot of network security companies use appliances, mm-hmm. you know, they have a, a firewall appliance, they have, you know, a network scrubber, they have our, our core is mm-hmm. to move all of that to encapsulated function running on standard Linux servers. And that's not going away. We are deeply committed to that. We continue to take advantage of you know acceleration features that are happening on standard processors and standard NICs and everywhere in our fleet, right? Mm-hmm. So that is core, that's not going away, but we have started to specialize where we need to. So for areas like R2, R2 is our S3 bit bucket, you know, completely, compliant storage service uh, and that solution guess what that's not running on a standard server like (laughs) I mean it is it uses as much as we can of our standard server design but has a different chassis it has a bunch of drives attached to it that's a requirement Mm. because it's a storage service it has different network configuration it has isolation where necessary to ensure that data is durable across multiple regions multiple zones all of the things that need to happen um, and the same with AI, right? As mm-hmm. we looked at that service and we looked at what was possible with CPUs, CPUs are great. They keep getting better at inference and other features like that. But LLM require a huge amount of memory, huge amount of memory bandwidth, and you know, a lot more terms of um, parameter count and capability than CPUs alone can do in a performant fashion aligned with the low latency experience that our customers. And so that, you know, requires us to look at alternate architectures for those kinds of things. So, you know, we kind of look at it as our core competency is a network that is really fungible, where we're re- delivering resiliency through redundancy in all these different regions and all these different zones. And then if we have to make a specific choice, how do we make that choice in the most ubiquitous, in the most resilient Fashion, but aligned to the use case that we're designing for, like storage or AI.
1: So you, so you don't have to have, uh, you know, you could be standards based and not be uh, homogenous for lowest common denominator. You could do the 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 optimizations that a specific workload requires.
0: Yeah, okay. absolutely, and we have to, right? Yep. Uh, there's a there's a wonderful team here that works on systems optimization, performance of various workloads. Uh, you know, and we dig in to make sure that we're doing the right thing for our users.
1: So speaking of standards and, and standards-based, I know you, you've been heavily involved in, in OCP. How do standards such as OCP come into play in, in the context of your own environment and how, you know, how you, you can use that standards-based foundation for as a business model? So
0: I I would step back and say there are standards like, you know, PCIe, yep. like JEDIC, yeah. you yeah. know, for, yeah. for DDR. OCP is a community. Mm-hmm. And OCP comes together to put together, you know, reference design that help people adopt methodologies that are more efficient and effective. And so we are a part of OCP. We are members of OCP. Um, and we've made contributions to OCP in the form of DCSCM, which is a disaggregated, you know, security and control module that allows you to have sort of better modular design practices so that you can use low-loss materials where you need it, let's say, for DDR 5 but not on the BMC where, like, friend, there hasn't been any real significant improvement in bandwidth to that, nor is it necessary, you know, for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. So really, it's about taking advantage of the best design practices. And I would argue the best design practices often come from the hyperscalers. They're, you know, operating at such a, a large scale, they give us that ability to start digging in and identifying um, hmm, what Why did they decide to standardize that? Why did they go to this new rack standard? Why are they doing X, Y or Z? By doing that work in the open source and contributing either a white paper or a true design spec, it's always best if they actually put a design spec out there. They don't always. <laughs> Then people like us who have large scale infrastructure build our own and leverage those best practices, kind of the community and buying power behind it. I think it's better for the IT service providers. You know, if I came in and said, actually, I need a back clean that does X, Y, or Z. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm whatever, I don't know, 2% of their volume for the year. And then, you know, whoever's doing infrastructure at, you know DigitalOcean or equinix you know or comes up with a different design all of a sudden they're spending so much of their ergs just doing these bespoke yep. customizations for let's say backplane what if we can all consolidate and not be unique just because that's what we think might be cool but truly like yeah maybe it's a slight compromise to how we've Envisioned it, but if it makes it cheaper for the vendor and therefore cheaper for us, sure, we can make that adjustment mm-hmm. in our service operating procedure so that it is that much of a savings. Sure, and I think that's something that you'll see if you go into one of these catalogs for any of the ODNs. You know, six hundred pages with all sorts of different you know implementations of approximately the same thing but different that makes it very hard to operate. And ideally we want to have, you know, systems that are as similar as possible so that our tooling, our automation, our service procedures for our operators are as similar as possible. No wakes. Sure. Rule of thumb, you know, we have, <laughs> we have heterogeneity where we have to, But we want as little as possible because it makes everything more
1: complex. Only where it has value. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: So Cloudflare has a relationship with AMD, right? uh, Standards-based server infrastructure here. Can, Can you talk about how you look at different processors and how you've worked with us on optimizing solutions with our standard AMD technologies?
0: Absolutely. So we've been very public from Gen 10, which is two servers back, two server designs back for us. We've started working with AMD. So we worked on the Rome processor, the Milan processor, and we're actively working with Genoa, Genoa X, and Bergamo processors for different use cases in our overall fleet. Um, how do we approach it? Much like I said before, you know, we have different per- performance metrics mm-hmm. that are representative of each of our different design points. So that might be requests per second per tCO dollar. That might be queries per second per tCO dollar. Da, 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 da. We have you know kind of a key metric in each of those domains. Um, we do have so many services and so many different configurations. You know, we definitely see how things evolve over time. Mm -hmm. So when we go through our testing process and flow, you know, we'll start in two sites and then ramp to six to eight to 12 sites and get a better picture of sort of how that has evolved. And eventually as we get to all 700 physical sites, you know, things move, Mm -hmm. right. It's, it's expected. Um, But in general, we've found that, you know, we can replicate those experiences. We can work together to understand, you know, is the latest Linux kernel version giving us all the performance that we expected or not? If not, why not? You know, do we need to turn on these security patches? Yes, of course. Got it. Then that's why we expect this versus that, you know, And, and really being able to kind of root cause if there are challenges, what the challenges are if they're acceptable or not from an operating condition point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's critical. You know, you need a vendor who can pick up a phone, can talk to you, can talk you through it, where you can say, these are hard constraints. Okay, we can work on these ones Mm -hmm. if that means X, Y, or Z. Um, Yeah, that's how we partner.
1: And that requires a dialogue. You can't just have a a one-way stream of information. Say, hey, here it is. Throw it over the transom. Uh, awesome stuff. You
0: can try. <laughs> oh yeah, well, we
1: can't can be, be done. Have
0: customers for very long. Some
1: would say some folks in the industry do that. So, anyway, um, as we turn to to twenty twenty four, what are you excited to see emerging on the infrastructure front? And do you really expect any surprises from the industry in the next year?
0: Well, I think if you had asked me this time last year <laughs> how big AI would become, uh, I would have said. But it'll be, you know, those who are really in it, driving and adopting, not necessarily every single company going through a business transformation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, you know, I with that I think you're not alone you're mind, not
1: alone on that one. All right. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, it was but I, I think it was November thirtieth when Chat GPT sort of yeah. launched every yeah, year ago last yeah. year. And and so with the risk of knowing that um prognostications often are wrong. (laughs) I will say, you know, I I think we've been in that hype cycle for AI and we need to get to a place where we are actually getting return on investment, right? Like how many companies have like integrated something funny into their internal chat or played around with a POC for X, Y, or Z. But like these systems and these tools are expensive enough that we got to get it right. Yeah. And we got to actually return investment to our various people. Um, my second prediction would be just uh, in the hype cycle of lots of things, we often forget our principles and values. Uh, I think sustainability has not gone away as a goal. Efficiency is core to everything that anybody who operates infrastructure does. And we need to get back to those roots, even within the domain space of AI. And so I think that will be a challenge for all of us, but it is one we absolutely have to tackle because new data centers, new power sources, these things are not just unlimited resources. They have real impact. There's only so much. So we can't forget the importance of efficiency Mm -hmm. in the hype. and then I think probably, you know, the other one is one we talked about earlier, which is just more and more countries, individuals are waking up to security and privacy and how they want to operate in the world of deep fakes. You know, if, you, if your voice is online, somebody can simulate it now mm-hmm. and create all sorts of things that you have said, Jim. <laughs> I mean, and these things right now are being used in funny fashion. But you know,
1: there's there's a dark side answer? to to it as well, isn't there?
0: How are we going to come together as a community to do this ethically to ensure that you know there is effectively watermarking on real assets versus ones that have been generated? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know uh, we could talk about what digital you know, watermarking did in the. Music domain, maybe it's not all for good, um, but you know. Whereas at one point there was kind of rampant fraud in that domain, you know, we were able to come as a society to a place where musicians and artists could actually disseminate content online and be paid for it. Maybe not as much as they're worth, but hey,
1: uh, <laughs> so
0: I, I'd like to see the community coming together and thinking through that, so that all of the wonderful people who are creating this content have a way of identifying, Hey, you know, this is, this is made up mm-hmm. and it's funny. And that's why I'm doing it. Please don't take it for real. Um, Cause otherwise the world of deep fakes is uh, pretty, could be pretty daunting. Over yeah. The next couple of
1: yeah. Years. The, the metaverse could be something we didn't intend it to be. That would be uh
0: I read that book, right? No crash. <laughs> and, I mean, we've all read it.
1: <laughs>
0: a dystopic world where we we live in fantasy. Maybe not where we want to be. Well, I
1: I truly hope uh, that that your forecast, uh, any any forecast that includes uh, a focus on uh, in- increasing awareness around sustainability, and increasing awareness of security, and communities coming together to do the right things, uh, is a good one because that's really the the foundation of what technology hopefully does for mankind. I guess. Isn't
0: it? Isn't it just? Uh, I pray these things are true. I, I know in our little corner of the world, it's it's a major discussion about how we keep people safe, how we keep their data private, how we keep it secure, um, no. and also, you know, help others identify when there are problems.
1: So it's uh, 2024. That's the, that's the biggie. So that'll be great for us. Well, Rebecca, this has been a great discussion. Thanks again for sharing your insights with us today.
0: appreciate it so much. Thank you, Jim.
1: And thanks to our audience for listening as we talk tech. Until next time.
0: Thanks for joining AMD Tech Talk. Find out more about the technologies discussed today at www.amd.com.